Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. It's time for From the Short Grass with Trey Shap, a golf podcast for those who love golf, struggle with golf, and just like to enjoy the outdoors and fellowship with friends, all while chasing a ball around trying to put it in a four and a quarter inch diameter hole. From the Short Grass is brought to you by Stevens Incorporated an independent financial services firm with the freedom to focus on what matters most. Blackman Auctions. For over 80 years, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. We partner with you to deliver high-yield results by managing, developing, and investing in top-quality hospitality assets. And now, from the short grass, here is your host, Trey Schaap. Welcome to another edition of From the Short Grass. I am your host, Trey Shap. I am extremely glad you could be with us this week, and I think you're going to enjoy my interview with Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Real quick, I want to tell you about our good friends at Blackman Auctions. Since 1968, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. You can find them on the web at blackmanauctions.com. We are back after this. Stay with us. With all the decisions you need to make about what to do in El Dorado, finding a place to stay is an easy one. The Haywood is uniquely positioned to make your stay one to treasure. Located in the historic Union Square district of El Dorado, the Haywood offers luxurious accommodations that feature contemporary, colorful rooms with high-quality bedding. Comfortable baths with walk-in showers and a spacious workspace with stylish plantation shutters that are unique additions to the stunning decor in a non-smoking environment. Make the Haywood your home away from home the next time you visit El Dorado. The future is not about a bond reaching maturity. The future is what my grandfather worked for. It's what my father carried on. It's my responsibility today. The future is my son's tomorrow. At the Stevens Private Client Group, we believe that our strength builds success, not only for us, but for our clients. Stevens, member NYSE, SIPC. This is Thomas Blackman with Blackman Auctions. The economy is changing slowly but surely. The market is slowing down in a gradual slide. Not an emergency yet, the sky is not falling, but a change is coming. When times are good, auctions make buyers compete to buy at the highest market value. When the economy gets tough, auctions force buyers to make a purchase decision. Either way, auctions get the highest return for a seller and a strong deal for a buyer. With an experienced auction company, it's a simple process. Go to BlackmanAuctions.com for more information. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. Welcome back to this edition of From the Short Grass. If you've ever watched the Southeastern Conference Network since its inception, you've probably seen this guy around. On the tee, Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Peter Burns, thanks for joining me on From the Short Grass. When did you first pick up a golf club? What do you remember about that time? Um, So my dad was always looking for an excuse to go play. And so I think that was finally how he got me going because I played every sport growing up. And then finally, like around eight years old, he was just like, all right, I think that you're ready. And so I started playing at that aspect of it and then just super competitive. 
and played and played and played. And then finally it got to the point where it was like, all right, you got two choices. You're, you're a good basketball player, but you're not a great basketball player. You could play maybe Juco baseball or you could be pretty decent at golf. And I was like, I kind of like winning things. So I was like, ah, let me go try college golf. And then uh, so just quit everything, just played nothing but golf in high school and college. And then uh, – and now I never play with two kids under five. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing how that happens. Where, right? did, where did you play your high school golf? Three different high schools because my dad was in, in – my family was in the oil and gas industry, so we traveled everywhere. So we played at Magar- I played at MacArthur High School in San Antonio, Texas, transferred after my freshman year to Kingwood High School in Houston, right outside of Houston, played a year there. And then when we were coming back, it's kind of funny because it's kind of like not transfer portal-ish, but – we were going to move back to San Antonio, and so we legitimately met with golf coaches and like, all right, who had the best programs, who had the best teams coming up, who's being recruited, and then we ultimately ended up getting a uh, house in Churchill High School uh, district, and so, you know, and it worked out well. We ended up winning a, um, a Texas State title and helped me get a golf scholarship, so it was awesome, yeah. And where was that golf scholarship to? The University of Texas, San Antonio, where okay. I played for two years. and Roadrunner? Yeah, beat, meet me. And it was awesome. We had a great time. The problem was I had, you know, I was really straight-laced growing up, like Catholic family. My mom's Cuban. Like, we didn't do, I didn't do anything. Never got in trouble. And then I step on campus my first year at UTSA, and I'm living in a four-bedroom apartment, and all of my three suite mates had moved out for one reason or another. One moved with his girlfriend, one transferred, and one um, got another apartment. So there I am in a four-bedroom apartment by myself, and I've never been a- alone by myself. And I was like, oh, I, I, can, I can drink now. I don't have a <laughs> curfew. I could do this. I was just a disaster. I oh, mean, yeah. we just partied nonstop. I mean, it was a frat house that we turned that thing into. And so didn't play extremely well. And then finally, after my second year, my parents are like, I don't think you need to go to school anymore. And I was like, well, how about I just transfer and, uh, and find the, uh, the golfing gods and, and, and apologize. And so I transferred to St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas, a D2 school. And then it was like, all right, I got one more shot at this. And then game got a little bit better, won a tournament. We went to nationals, and, and, uh, but I wouldn't have done. I mean, I had a blast this first year. I bet. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, the 1.6 uh, GPA one semester was like, <laughs> ah, maybe, maybe this is not the best idea. Well, you've done me. well for yourself since. Yeah, <laughs> failed, uh, failed to uh, live in the dream job, man. So, yeah, it was, um, it was cool. And then uh, and went from there to, you know, uh, working right in the gas and oil industry and won a r- sports radio contest uh, in 2003 with Fox Sports Radio out of the blue. That led to kind of just this crazy whirlwind career. So Your job with the SEC Network, uh, it's nonstop, isn't it? Is this work? You know, I mean, like, like that's the cool thing about it. My wife always jokes around. She's like, you're the one person who really gets upset when, they, when work gets canceled, <laughs> like when, you ha- when you're not working because – you're hanging out with guys like you, and you know I, I grew up watching Jacob Hester play, and that's what a coworker now, and Chris Doring, and, and Tebow, and all these guys. I'm like, I'm such an interloper, and I'm just trying to make sure that they don't they figure me out anytime soon. So, would you rather be in studio or out like we are now? Uh, definitely out. I think that's especially in the pa- after the pandemic, you don't get an opportunity to to have these connections and meet and see people um and i'm always jealous of the guys that call games to a certain extent like it's nice especially now that i got a family that i'm in studio i can see all the games i'm i i've got access to all the coaches and whatnot but there's something about being in front of a coach or you know 
we're, I'm hanging out with Mike Leach last night for 30 minutes, and we're just chatting. And I, that's a conversation I'll, I'll always remember. Now, he may not remember me tomorrow, but the next time I want to have an interview with him, Mike at least knows, all right, okay, I, yeah, I ran into that guy. So mm-hmm. Now, I don't, I don't know how much, you know, Trey, you travel, but, I, like, like, the guys that do 200 games a year, I don't know how they do it. I don't like, either. I just – I travel just enough. We'll do – Baseball tournaments, I do uh, golf, I'll call PGA Championships, we'll do Omaha, and then like media days, but I'll travel for about seven or eight events a year, and that's that's enough to where you get a feel for it, um, but I, I hardly ever see college football games, because I'm always in studio in, in those, and uh, basketball the same way. Speaking of golf and the SEC, and the fact that it is yeah. televised now, and it's you're awesome. part of that broadcast yeah. on the course you yeah. get to walk the course with the guys and the gals. Mm-hmm. What's that like? It's um, it's so cool because, you know, like growing up, I don't know if you're a music fan, but you want to see bands that are kind of on the up. And then all of a sudden when they make it, you're like, holy, I, I had an opportunity to watch this band. And everybody has that story, right? And so the last couple of years that we've done SEC uh, golf championships, men's and women, like you get an opportunity to walk inside the ropes and see them and talk to them and get to know them and you see their game and you could tell like Sam Burns like the first time that I, I saw Sam and not just because of the last name or LSU I was just like this guy's a different level and then sure enough now you see him and I saw him at Augusta playing a practice round he's there and we're just walking and then you know I I know that guy like I remember when he was hitting shots at Sea Island and making a you know a, a double bogey out of the bunker and and now here he is you know three-time tour winner so that's that's the coolest part and the coolest part about being in the SEC is like the guys that we're watching at 18 now you know they're the next pros and I, yeah. that's that's awesome from JT to you know Davis Riley to all these guys that are that are grinding on tour I mean Smiley Kaufman's a great example we worked with him he had incredible success right off the bat and now he's on the other end, the end broadcasting of it, I think he'll end up being a star as well. What was it like being at the PGA at Southern Hills? It's, um, it's, you know, I I didn't the first time I got out there and saw the course because this is the great part is I contacted them and said I need to do some show prep. So basically, me and my dad went up in March. You got to and, play. Oh yeah, and that was just total boondoggle. Like they probably should have told me no. They um, fed you caviar <laughs> after the round. Oh, d- that I didn't do, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we played it, and I was like, "All right, this is the first time I played Southern Hills. Like, this is a, this is a good course, just kind of older and traditional." And the second time I played it, you start understanding the nuances of you know, hey, this fairway looks really big, but it's only that big, and there's a lot of shades of Augusta National in it. It's pretty high up and down, uh, a lot of undulation on it, and and I love Gilhans, the designer, like all of his stuff from. From Mossy Oak, I think he's going to redo mm-hmm. the, the one of the courses at Colonial or, or, or redo Colonial here soon. He's been – I think he's brilliant because I think what he's doing for golfers is that it's no longer the tree-lined fairways. Like he came into Southern Hills and, and took out 700 trees. It flows better. You can see more of the course. You can see more of the arena that you're in as opposed to hitting in a hallway. Like you go back and look at Tiger in 07 and the course at Southern Hills is – night and day different you wouldn't even recognize it to southern hills in 2022 that's what i thought peter when i first got over there this past year for the pga and i was there in 07 was the fact that standing up by the clubhouse you could see so much more of the course yeah than what you could back in 07 yeah and that's like if you go to mossy oak outside of starkville that it's like that where you could stand here and i can see the entire course of of what's happening um and i think it's it it was you know a it, it helps the 
it helps the eyesight mm -hmm. as far as for a golfer it's a little bit more of an easier course to look at but it's more challenging right so gill in his course design had talked about the one thing that golfers always want is predictability they want to know they're going to hit a seven iron 181 yards in this condition or a driver this long and he goes, I want to build a course in which I take that unpredictability away. I thought that was brilliant because it wasn't, you know, what's predictable is having rough here. You know if you hit it here, the rough's going to go. What's unpredictable is if you shave all the areas and have a bunch of undulation, you might get a good kick, you might get a bad kick. You've got five or six different ways to play a little pitch or a chip, which I love as a golfer. And, and I mean, I love, you know, I feel like my short game is by far my best part of the game. So all of his courses have that there's three or four different ways to play a shot versus, all right, you're in the rough here. You're just going to wedge right. it out. And I think a lot more designers are building it that way. Like Mammoth Dunes in Sand Valley, maybe my favorite golf course of all time as far as, like, it's so much fun because it's, you know, you can hit it wherever off the tee as a driver, but there's 19 different ways you can play shots. You can run it in the wind. You can hit it low. You can, you know, play it off banks. And I think we need to have more fun. I think golf is always about, like, becoming challenging and who can build the hardest golf course i'm like like dude you you're working all your your day like this is supposed to be fun and i think he adds fun but challenging all together i don't think you need 7600 yards to make a golf course tough no i mean you go back and look and, and that's that was one of the things we talked about in the pga championship the hardest holes of, of for the championship were the 385 yard par fours you know, because you had to land it in a precise area or the greens were built to a certain situation to where you got to hit a great shot. I think the guys on tour now, if they're looking at a scorecard, they will say, I, I'm much rather play a 465-yard par four than a 365-yard par four, which doesn't even compute in my mind. Like, as an average golfer, I'm like, well, I definitely want to play something that I'm hitting a shorter length club in. But for those guys... They're just like, well, we'll just bomb it. And if it's 465, it's not going to be ash. It's not going to be challenging. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the difference in the course design. And that's what somebody uh, – I was with Paul Stankowski, who was my analyst this week uh, for PGA Championship, and he said, he goes, the guys don't even care about the length anymore. He goes, they don't. There's no such thing as a long course because they all can hit it 340 if they want to. Um and so I, he goes, what, what the guys are worried about now is them dialing back it, and all of a sudden it become more of an iron-striking game because the younger generation is just learning to, your percentage-wise, when you do the numbers, you're better off like Bryson of hitting it over all the map, and, but you're 40 yards closer. Mm -hmm. You might be 40 yards closer on a bad lie, but that percentage chance is going to be better for par or better as opposed to being 160 yards out. Is it kind of like they're taking the course management out of the game? Yeah, I, I think they're to a, to well, a point. I think what they're bringing they're bringing analytics into the game, right? They're not taking course management out, but they're bringing it. And even like had an opportunity to spend some time with Davis Love the third, which was awesome. Like one of my favorites, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't. Is this life? I'm talking to Davis Love the third. <laughs> And he talked about how they're starting to do it with Ryder Cup, President Cup, and selections, and about how much data and analytics over the last couple of years that they can take a course and say the course is going to be at, let's say, Quail 
where it's going to have the, the President's Cup this year. Mm -hmm. He goes, I can mimic that in a database and say, here are the six courses on tour that are very similar to quail as far as distance, how many irons are hit here, whatnot. And he goes, and then I can filter out every single player and how they've done on every single one of their rounds. And he goes, and it'll put out an equation of, hey, you know what? I, this guy might be ranked number nine in the world, but the 14th ranked player absolutely crushes this style of course, you know, and where this guy who's ranked number ninth, that seems like a no brainer. Like he, he told me the story um, of Bubba Watson the last time at the Ryder cup and Bubba was right on the outside, didn't make the cut, but he was like ninth. And so they were going to, they're like, well, everybody figures they're going to take Bubba. And they start putting these numbers in of the course. And he's like, no, I mean like Bubba does everything bad in these places we need to be good at. He ends up picking, I can't remember, uh, some, some rookie who had never played, but the stats were really good. The rookie ends up going three and one. I can't remember who mm -hmm. it was. But he called Bubba, and this was the best part of the story. He called Bubba to tell him he wasn't going to be a part of it. And he's like, you know, these are tough conversations to have. And he said Bubba took a deep breath, and he was like, well, can I still come? Can I help be a part of the team? And Davis was floored. He was like, I just broke this guy's heart, and he was like all in. Yeah. And so he's like, well, let me call you back. So Davis says he calls Bubba back, and he's like, hey, man, I've talked to everybody on the team. Like, if you want it. But he's like, You're, we already have our captains and co-captains. Like, you are just like an intern, basically. And he's like, hell yeah, where do I show up? <laughs> and so he says, all right, well, what your job is to do when you show up is you're going to have, you know, when Tiger and when Phil, all these guys come through the door, you're going to tell them, hey, go sign this autograph. Or, hey, I need you to lug equipment here and there. And you got Bubba Watson, the ninth, you know, guy that ninth. almost played on yeah. the team. was almost on the team. And he's lugging you know, stuff like that. So he said he told every single person on the team except for Tiger. And he's like, it just – and Tiger wasn't playing. I think this was Hazeltine. And he told everybody, and everybody was like, hell yeah, that's awesome. So they come in the first day, and Tiger's like the first one to arrive. And Bubba's there at like 5 a.m. Like, whatever you need, I'm here. Like, as a great teammate. And Tiger looks at Bubba, and he's shocked. He's like, what in the world is there? Yeah. And he calls – he doesn't even talk to Bubba. He calls Davis over, and he says, Davis, let me see. <laughs> he tells – he says, Davis, what in the blank is Bubba doing here? And Davis says, hey, man, I called him. I told him he wasn't on the team. And I should have called you before, and I apologize about that. But he said he wanted to do anything. Like, whatever it took, he wanted to be here. And he's here at 5 a.m., so I'm, I'm sorry I should have called you. And Tiger took a deep breath, and, and Davis is like, oh, my God, Tiger's going to rip me for this. And he goes, that's the coolest blanking thing I've ever seen. And he's like, and him and, him and Bubba hit it off, and, and it was just a really cool behind-the-scenes story. Yeah. I don't even know how the hell we got there, but it was, just, right. it was a really cool story about how, you know, and I look at Bubba differently because for the while as a golfer, Bubba was always kind of looked at as like a, yeah, he's a little different cat, but Bubba feels like the new Mickelson, not just because he's left-handed, just people are starting to find out more, right. and more stories about him. Like yeah, that. it's pretty awesome. Pretty cool story there. Yeah. The, the women's game, what do you see in it? A um, couple of years ago, we got a chance to play and, and watch with Maria Fossey at Arkansas. And I'm just like, and I had kind of, I had seen some, I had watched her play, but I watched some notes on her and or take some notes as we were getting ready for the tournament out in Greystone for SEC Women's Golf Championship. And I got out there and I was like, holy hell. I mean, she's hitting it 320. And I'm talking about like, she had this like Tiger Woods, like, I don't talk to anybody. I'm on there. I'm here to destroy you. And I'm just like, and, you know, the women now, they'll hit it. They'll hit it pretty damn good. They'll hit it 265, 270. Some, they would just, they'll launch it farther than I do. 
and Maria's hitting it 40 yards by him. And I'm just like, it's incredible. I saw Ingrid Lindblad uh, at LSU, and, I mean, it's just – it's an absolute machine. Mm-hmm. Um, the Swede for LSU is just – I mean, they're just so good. I saw her shoot, like, 67 in one of the matches, and it w- might have been one of the worst putting rounds I've ever seen. I mean, she could have shot 60 or 61. And it, it wasn't bad, what I mean, but it was just she missed every 14-footer by an inch. Yeah, you know, just right on the edge. And it's just the Swedes have this this concept mentally where they're talking the national teams about 54. The idea of every time they tee it up, they want to shoot 54. That's 18 under. They feel like you can hit a perfect shot, a perfect approach, a per- every single time. And damn, she may be one of the first people to get there because she wow, hits if it that's so their long. mindset. Yeah, and it was <laughs> great because we had some college, we had some Swedish teammates at UTSA, and it would be a 54. And I'm like, what is this 54 thing? And they're like. If you approach every single thing, you know, as its own whole, have you hit a good drive before? Yes. Have you hit a good iron shot before? Yes. Have you hit a good putt before? Yes. Okay, well, you do that on one hole. Wipe that hole away. Can you do it on again? Take it to the next hole. Right. Yeah. And, and I was like, that's, that's a mentality that I'm not quite ready <laughs> I, I, I don't think so either. <laughs> All right. Uh, best golf course you've ever played? Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a great one because uh, they're all so different. I, I love – I, I, Sand Valley to me up in Wisconsin is my favorite. I'm punch drunk with that one right now. I took that trip up, and it's right outside. It's a little bit north of Kohler, I believe. So you mm-hmm. fly into Madison, and it's up in the sand hills, and it's uh, you could just design something. I'd say Sand Valley is my favorite right now. Mammoth, Mammoth Dunes right next to Sand Valley is the most fun course I've ever played. Um, I played Old Hoopy Match Club about um, about three weeks ago, and that's like this. Nobody's really even heard of it. It's a match club. There's no tee boxes, which is really cool. It's about an hour south of, of Augusta. And you basically, you show up. You have to play in twosomes, or you have to play in a foursomes where you have two matches going on. And if you don't, they'll have somebody, you know, join you for the clubhouse, and you play a, a, play a match. And whoever wins the first hole gets to pick what the next hole is. Like, it's kind of scheduled to be a par five, but if you want to play it at 420, you can. If you want to play it at 600, you can. Or there's a lot of par three, par fours to where they, they literally call it three and a halfs on the scorecard because you can play it as 220 from a tee or you can play it as 255 drivable par four. Wow. And it's all match play. Yeah. Has no, yeah. It, nobody cares what you shoot. In right. fact, the whole logo in the, in, the, in, the lo- in the pro shop is like no one cares what you shot because you don't, you don't keep score that way. You yeah. just you do win your match. Yeah. It's a really, really cool experience. So those are probably two of my list right now. Fantasy foursome. You and three others. Who would be in Peter Burns' fantasy foursome? Now, do they have to be golfers? Living or deceased. Oh, that's great. They Um, have to play golf. They have to play golf. So, I mean, naturally you have to have Tiger just because of the experience. I'd love to have Hogan just because just the stories. Yeah, to watch that swing. You would want to know. Yeah, just – you know the famous story about how he's playing, and you know he makes a birdie on a uh, on a par three, and then he goes to his playing partner. He goes, "What you have?" And the guy's like, "I, I just made a hole in one." Like just just <laughs> yeah, you know it may, may not be even true story, but I was like Hogan would probably be on that list. Um, what's interesting now is because I'm reading the Mickelson book, and I know that's so cliche, but like Phil's such an intriguing character, and I him you know, and Tiger and Hogan and you, uh, it just again. Who's your? Who's your? I mean, I'm. You well, Tiger, Tiger's, Tiger's there. Right. Um, I would like to play with Mr. Nicholas. 
Okay. Yeah. And then my fourth. Um, now, when you want to play with Nicholas, do you want to? Let's say oh, we're doing this because if it's dead or alive, you get to go in the time machine. Are you getting eighty-six Nicholas? Are you getting like sixties oh, Nicholas? Oh, I would love sixties Nicholas. Like okay, sixties Nicholas, yeah. no doubt. And then for my fourth, I would probably go Mr. Nelson. Okay, Byron and Byron and Nelson. It's funny because we talk about you know some of the the le- legends of the game, but his what was it the run in forty-five where he won like eleven or twelve straight like. Yep. Yeah, you know, and I, don't, I still don't think he's looked at in, in the same light that he probably should be. I mean, he's a legend, but we talk about these like mythic creatures of you know Arnie and Jack and and Byron Nelson was like. And I would have to say, if, if if Mr. Nelson said no, I can't play, then I would go Payne Stewart. That that was you know, I'm reading. I'm in the part of uh, Alan Shipnuck's book where it talks about Payne, and I I, I don't I guess. You know, you just forget that Payne had just won, I think, his second major. U.S. He's, Open. He's there. Like, he, yeah. he just wanted Pinehurst, and he's in the in the mix, and he's, you know, that character. And all of a sudden, you know, passes away. And, and the way it happened is just, you know, Payne was uh, – there's a story about how Payne, you know, grabs Mickelson – Mm-hmm. Whenever he, you know, whenever he, uh, he lost, and when Payne won the tournament at, at Pinehurst, and he was just like, you're going to make an amazing father. And I was like, that's, you know, we lost a guy like that. That Payne would have been a great one. I didn't even think about that one. Payne would have been awesome. You know who I, it's always interesting to? I think Trevino would be interesting. Um, and and I, I think Trevino would be interesting, like, early in his career. I hear these great stories about how, like, um, Bruce, um, who was a great, I don't think it was, no, it was probably Raymond Floyd. Have you heard the story about Raymond Floyd going down to South Texas somewhere and he's going to play in some money matches because they were they were making money on the road as opposed to making money on the tour. And Floyd comes out there and he comes out, opens up the trunk, guy comes out, grabs his clubs or whatever, and he's like, I, you know, I'm playing as a money match against some guy today. <laughs> and he goes, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's me. And it was Trevino getting his clubs out of the cart. Oh, boy. And so Raymond's like, okay, what is <laughs> I mean, this is, all right, easy money. What am I doing here? But, hey, listen, they want to play for this amount, they would play for this amount. They said the fir- first 18 holes they play, um, uh, Raymond shoots like, Raymond Floyd shoots like 66, loses like five grand or whatever. And he's like, to Trevino. He just like, shot 66 and he lost 5,000. And he says, well, and they were scheduled to be two rounds, so they was like, all right, well, let's let's do this tomorrow. I wasn't prepared for that. The next round, he goes out there, shoots like 68, gets destroyed by Trevino, like, and then loses the same amount of money. And so he was supposed to leave town. He's like, the hell if I'm leaving town. I'm playing one more. Let's go double or nothing. So they end up playing, and sure enough, um, Floyd shoots like 64, edges Trevino by like a stroke or whatever. And as he's leaving, Trevino comes out there and he goes, hey, you want me to, you know, let me clean your clubs up and get, put them in the trunk. And he goes, I'm getting the blank out of here <laughs> and I ain't never coming back. And he told him, he, you know, he comes to a PGA Tour event uh, the next week and he goes, there's so many guys out here that we don't even know about that can't afford to play that if they ever get an opportunity like Trevino to play, we're done. Yeah, watch and out. And sure enough, Trevino borrowed money, got it in a couple of tournaments, and all of a sudden, you know, he got a chance to do it. So. The Mary Max. Crazy. Peter, thanks so much for your time, man. Thanks, Trey. When you're traveling and you need a place to stay, go to bphotels.com. Search their website there, Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. They are the leader when it comes to managing hotel properties. Find them on the web, bphotels.com, Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. Blair Allen, Matthew Allen, a great partner of From the Shoregrass. 
This is Thomas Blackman with Blackman Auctions. You all know by now I'm not a good golfer, but my son loves the game and he and I have been playing more. I've got my score down to, I've quit playing a scramble on every hole. I'm using the bunker rake much less than I used to, and a lot of the time I hit my drives past the women's tee box. All of my success in golf can directly be tied to me listening to From the Short Grass. Without it, I would not be the golfer I am today. Trey, you owe me 20 bucks for that. Trey knows golf. I know auctions. Come see us at BlackmanAuctions.com. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. At Stevens, our philosophy is to invest every dollar as if it were our own. To seize opportunity. To anticipate rather than react. To deliver constant focus in an ever-changing world. And to pursue the objectives of our clients in order to help them reach their financial goals. A proven history of helping companies and individuals. Stevens, member NYSE SIPC. With all the decisions you need to make about what to do in El Dorado, finding a place to stay is an easy one. The Haywood is uniquely positioned to make your stay one to treasure. Located in the historic Union Square district of El Dorado, the Haywood offers luxurious accommodations that feature contemporary, colorful rooms with high-quality bedding. Comfortable baths with walk-in showers and a spacious workspace with stylish plantation shutters that are unique additions to the stunning decor in a non-smoking environment. Make the Haywood your home away from home the next time you visit El Dorado. That will do it for this edition of From the Short Grass. I want to thank Peter Burns for taking time out of his very hectic schedule and sitting down with us. I really hope you enjoyed his interview. At the end there, he was talking about Lee Trevino. And I want to leave you with some funny quotes from the Merry Mex. Caddies are a breed of their own. If you shoot 66, they say, man, we shot 66 today. But go out and shoot a 77, and they say, heck, he shot 77. And this one, nobody but you and your caddy care what you do out there. And if your caddy is betting against you, he doesn't care either. And lastly, this one from Lee Trevino. Heck, I'm going to make so much money this year, my caddy will make the top 20 money winners list. I hope you are taking precautions when you are out in this extreme heat. Drink lots and lots and lots of water. We want you to continue playing this great game. When you find ball marks on the green, and specifically yours, fix it, but then fix a couple of more. And I hope to see you sometime soon from the short grass. You've been listening to From the Short Grass, a weekly podcast dedicated to the game of golf. This has been a presentation of the Buzz Radio Network.